Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. I didn't mean to turn my back to you. I'm sorry. That's like total rudeness. But um, you're going to find out that I'm not perfect. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's good to be here. Uh, I am, I'm so excited to be back with Ryan. I'm really excited that the Lord knew my heart and knew I needed to move somewhere where um, my spiritual sons were and daughters. And I have quite a few here. So um, I love Ryan. I just... Like bless him with all my heart. He, um, we've had a great relationship, and uh, the Lord has used us to do kingdom, and that's what's really important. So, um, the first thing I want to do, and, and you're gonna kind of figure out, you know, how I do things and how I move around. Number one, I move a lot. Okay, not that I, I I'm not talking about moving to Jacksonville, but I'm talking about moving in a room. Um, I don't like to be constrained and bound because as the Holy Spirit moves, I like to move. And uh, have you noticed how the Holy Spirit moves? You do know he moves, right? Okay, that's what we're gonna do. We're all gonna take a deep breath. Breathe. Why are you holding your breath? What are you afraid of? The Lord's not gonna dismantle you, I promise you. If anything, he's probably gonna help you gather your pieces and he's gonna make sense out of them because that's what he does. So just take a deep breath. I'm, I'm not really, I'm not calling anyone out. I'm not here to do magic over you. I'm not here to put a spell on you. Although I've been accused of being able to do that, but that's really not what I do, okay? If I was I'm gonna do that, I'd be out making millions of dollars, okay? Um, but here, no, I'm here with you investing in the kingdom because you are the children of a mighty God and Abba Father loves you. Do you realize how taken he is with you? You realize how taken that he is with you, okay? He is very mesmerized by you. And some of you, um, you might be sitting here and, and you might be thinking, I don't even think he knows I exist. But that's quite the contrary, okay? That's not true. He knows you exist and he's ordered your days. And if you, if you come to church and you don't believe that, then you need to rearrange something in your way of thinking. Because what you're doing is you're indicting Father God on the fact that you don't think he loves you. And he is very, very taken with you, okay? So um, I wanna read this along with the song. Thank you, by the way, for um, beautiful worship. Okay, I wanna read this to you. This, Richard Foster wrote this. Our God is not made of stone. His heart is the most sensitive and tender of all. No act goes unnoticed, no matter how insignificant or small. A cup of cold water is enough to put tears in the eyes of God. Did you know that he weeps over you? Did you know that he dances over you? Did you know that he rejoices over you? So while you're sitting here and the enemy is saturating you in shame and guilt, Father God is rejoicing going, these are my babies, these are my children, and I am so in love with them. 
I have to find a way to convince them how much I love them. And he will move heaven and earth, okay? Because heaven and earth to him is not as valuable as you are, as you and I are, okay? Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> if you're here tonight and um, you're kind of weary of your journey and you're kind of, you've, you've worn yourself out trying to plan it, I'm going to say something really simple to you. It's going to sound like, oh, wow, you drove two and a half hours to say this to me. Stop planning it. Stop trying to orchestrate God moving in your life and let him move in your life. Be willing to encounter him no matter how raw and how unsettling that is. Embrace that tension. Okay, because he is not going to stop pursuing you. He is the hound of heaven and he is going to have you one way or another and he's going to have all of you and he's going to have everything about you. So relax, take a deep breath and say, yea, God, okay, God, be it done unto me, which you have spoken. Okay, because it, you, you are the most important thing to him. Okay, tonight I'm going to share a story with you, my testimony, my story. I, I'm going to, there might be some things in the, con, in, the, in the contents of my testimony that might be unsettling to you. And that's okay. If it's okay with me, it has to be okay with you. Because I'm the one standing here stripping myself naked. Okay? And I can do that. I have no problem doing that. And hopefully from me telling you my story, you will rise up and not, not be ashamed to put words to your story. How, how many of you in this room, is there anyone in this room you have no history? I didn't think so. See, you have history. You have a journey. And that journey, God has been woven in and around that, that journey since the day that your feet hit the floor. Okay? And in that journey, you might be saying, well, did he cause my journey? Is he using my journey? You know, it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't matter because we ask questions that by right, we waste too much time waiting for the answer when, when, we can actually talk ourselves out of experiencing the God that loves us. You know that you can talk yourself out of faith. You can talk yourself out of experiencing him. You can literally come in this room and say, I'm not going to let him move me. Because if he moves me, I might get emotional. And if I get emotional, I'll get vulnerable. And if I get vulnerable, then someone will know my secret. Well, you know what? God already, he has that all in his hands. Okay? So you just need to relax with it. So I'm going to share some things with you that might, you know, you might say, whoa, that's, that's, and I'm not, please do not. I am, I am no different than you are, other than the fact that I'm going to stand here and I'm going to tell you my journey and how I encountered Father God. Okay. The other thing is I ask that you not judge anyone that I mention uh, connected to my family. Please do not judge my parents. My parents are in heaven when I see them. It'll be a totally different circumstance, set of circumstances, okay? Um, so please don't do that. I know sometimes people say, well, how could that happen? How could it go on? So please, um, don't, don't just, just know that 
Dan Green is good. I'm okay. I have a very blessed life. Okay, I have an amazing wife. I've been married. I will be married in June, 40 years. Okay, a marriage that people said, don't you get married. <laughs> don't do that to that girl. <laughs> but um, she chose to step into my journey with me. And um, I have two children, a son and daughter. Two, um, I have a son-in-law that's in ministry. I have a daughter-in-law. Our family is in the ministry realm. And um, I have four grandchildren that I absolutely adore. I'm telling you that up front because there was a day when I told and convinced myself, I don't want any of that, I will not have it. And I was willing not to have it. But God had something else in mind, okay? So I tell my story to, with one intent, and that is to glorify my father. And you'll know something about me. I am madly, madly in love with Jesus and my Father God and the Holy Spirit. They are everything to me. They are the very blood that runs through my veins. Okay, so, and I'm not saying that you're not, but you know what? There are days when Dan Green has to tweak that and even increase it more than it is existing today. And it is strong today. I am madly in love with the man Jesus. Okay, I have been since the day I met him. And I hope that you too will fall deeper in love with him. I'm going to start off to tell you a little bit. Um, I was born, um, I, I've lived for the, all my life in Maryland. I was born in Virginia. At five, I moved to Maryland. And I've been in Maryland until last October when um, Father God packed us up and brought us to Jacksonville. Okay, so I'm a Marylander. Um, don't hold that against me. We are Southerners. We just have forgotten it. Okay, we just don't know how to act. Um, we're so close to the northern borders. But um, so I, I lived there all my life from the time I was five till the time that I recently moved here. So I am the youngest of 16 children. My mother had 16 children by two different relationships. Let me, I need to tell you something about my mom, okay? My mom was a third-generation Wiccan witch. She practiced the dark arts. I was raised Wiccan under the realm of dark, as a dark practitioner. Okay, so you, and so people say to me, oh, you mean your mom was um, a carny? No, she was a real deal. My mom didn't travel with carnies uh, from town to town reading fortunes and getting a little pay and packing up and going to the next town. My mother was well known in the town where I lived as a fortune teller and booked readings and um, uh, appointments with people who would come to her to contact spiritual guides and the spirit realm and the demonic to give them information. She was gifted in divination. She was gifted in levitation. She was gifted in fortune telling, tarot card reading, um, the spirit realm. She, she entertained spirits and the demonic presence on an everyday basis. And that was the, the environment that I grew up in. She raised us all under the, the Wiccan blanket, um, taught us things of the dark, of the dark realm. Um, our life with her was very chaotic as a child. 
There was always chaos in our house. There was always violence. There were days when she would be just beautifully serene, but on any given day, it would change and the demonic would take over and she would become very abusive. Okay, she would withhold food from us. She would, um, she would make us wonderful meals and when we would sit down to eat, something in her would click and she would just wipe the table clean and throw all the dishes on the floor and then she'd say, now clean it up. And many nights we'd go to bed without food. She'd dress us in the middle of the night to go out into the forest to do um, worship of Sanhedra, okay? So I was raised in this environment where the demonic was constantly moving through our house. Um, she taught us, I, by the time I came to the Lord, I literally had to dismantle in me years and years and years of superstition. Okay, and can I tell you that superstition is not of the Bible? Faith is, not superstition. Okay, so if you're one of those people that can't leave your house without ritualizing, God can deliver you from that. And I, I'm not taking any of that lightly, okay? Don't, please, I'm not here. I, I'm not here to make fun of any painful thing that you might be sitting here going through because it's too important to me that you know that Jesus loves you and the Father loves you and the Holy Spirit loves you and they will heal whatever it is that's holding you back from pursuing them deeper. Okay, so we, we would have to do all kinds of superstitions. Like um, many nights she would open all the windows and doors in the house and invite spirits in and they would come. I want you to know this, I'm not, I'm not here to duke you. I have no reason to do that. I am here to tell you how Father God will come after a child that thinks that he has abandoned them. That's what I'm here to tell you. He will go to any extreme to get to that child if you want him to get to you. Okay, if you want to be found, he will find you. Okay, and you'll be surprised how many people are sitting in the midst of the church hiding. That breaks my heart. You know why we come into the church and hide? Because it's the safest place to hide. We can come in here and nothing, you know, we can kind of blend and look like we have it together. So my mother, she practiced these, these arts. She was violent. Some days she was beautiful and wonderful and she was always beautiful, but other days she was violent. She had multiple personalities because she had given herself over to the demonic and she was full of demons and she was full of spirits. And you might be sitting here saying, I don't believe in demons and spirits. Well, that's great, okay? But when you live in a house where they'd, they'd show up at dinner time, you'd think different, all right? I also have a sense of humor about my childhood, so you're able to laugh with me, you can laugh at me, you can laugh with me, you can laugh over anything I say, it's fine. Because I had a crazy childhood. But I loved my mother, but I feared her immensely. She was a control freak, she was a manipulator, and she was violent, okay? My father, what I'm about to say, there are people in this room, this is gonna resound with you, and it's gonna shake you a little bit. My father abandoned me standing right there. He stood right there next to me my whole life and abandoned me and never lifted a hand to help me and never acknowledged he was hardworking. He wouldn't have hurt an animal 
but he would let his children go through violence because he was manipulated by spirits that were in my mother that had torn down his masculine role and he would not make a stand and he abandoned me living in my house. He never left my house to go off somewhere. He was right there, but never spoke to me. I was 30 years old before my father ever told me he loved me. He had come to hear me preach and said, I'm so proud of you, I love you. And by that time I couldn't receive it. I was gracious, I was fine. I told the staff where I was preaching, get him a cup of coffee and make sure he's back there somewhere, okay? And please don't be upset. My father's with the Lord today, okay? Because when scripture says that God will restore all that the locust has devoured, he means all that the locust had devoured, okay? So my father, he, he was an amazing gardener. I, I love gardening myself. I know I've gotten that from him. But he was emotionally detached and could not care. I remember one time my sister had upset my mother and my mother went violent on her and my father was sitting on a sofa watching TV and my mother began to beat my sister from the kitchen to this little room in our house and by the way our house was very old very dilapidated and there was not a glass window in that house that was not broken because she would break them we had no doors on our bedrooms there were no locks okay and you have to remember that because it plays a part in my story. She had removed the locks from all our bedroom doors, okay? And so she began to beat my sister and she struck my sister and my sister fell on my father's lap and my father just kept looking straight at the TV and just pushed my sister on the floor and never broke contact with the TV. Why my mother stomped my sister you know why she beat her? Because she didn't like the way she had done her hair. Okay? So there was a lot of violence. I grew up with a couple of secrets that I wouldn't tell anybody. One of them was that from the time I was five to the time I was 15, I was abused, sexually abused in my parents' house. My secret was my abuse and that I had, a, I had been the victim of incest. I was abused by a much older sibling that belonged to my mother's other family that lived with us. He was much older than I was. And my mother gave me to him as an offering to do with me what she willed. Okay. And so at five, my sexual abuse started at least twice a week until I was 10 years old. And then on to when I was 15. 10 years of my life I lost to playing cat and mouse with an abuser that lived in my house that I couldn't get away from. I had to eat at the table with him. I had to sleep in the same house with him. I had to use the same bathroom with him. And he abused me sexually at least twice a week. And years later, I found out that my parents knew about it. And when I approached them about it, they did not deny it. They just said, yeah, we knew about it. You were given to him for his experimentation. That abuse left me with no identity, 
no sense of being. My masculinity was gone. I lived my, the whole, that whole time in shame, hated myself, constantly fantasized about killing myself or killing him. And that was my, my whole childhood. Every day was a cat and mouse that if I could get up early enough and leave my house, we lived out in a farm out in the country. We didn't have neighbors um, at the end of a long lane and we had lots of fields. And if I could wake up in the morning and get out of the house and go to the field <clears throat> and hide or play or whatever, I would always hope that he wouldn't find me, but most of the time he would find me. My brother left me for dead twice had intended on killing me. And he couldn't figure out why I kept coming back. <laughs> this is why I kept coming back. Okay. On one occasion, it was in um, October, and people say, Dan, why do you give such raw detail about your abuse? Because it is my heart that you know <clears throat> that the prison that you are setting in, the prison cell you're in, I don't know how many of you sitting here have been abused. I don't know what your life has been. But I know that if you have lived on the planet for any amount of time, something has caused pain at least one day in your life, if not many. And the cell that you're setting in, can I tell you something? Can I give you a revelation? That cell the door is wide open and we don't even know it. And you know how we know? Because once we start giving a voice to our story, you will realize that you can get up and you can step out of that story with the help of the Father. You don't have to stay there. That is not your identity, okay? What has been perpetrated on you or to you is not who you are. You are a child of God. God calls you his beloved his cherished child, he gazes at you. He stares you in your eyes. And could you do me a favor? Stare back and stop flinching. Like, oh, God's looking at me. Whoa, whoa. You know what, I'm here to tell you, if he can look at me, he can look at you. And see, my story isn't any different whether you were abused or assaulted one time or you were abused and assaulted a hundred times. It does not make any difference. You were abused and assaulted. Okay, so my identity absolutely had crumbled. I didn't know who I was. In my 20s, I could not sign my name on a legal document because I would do this game during my abuse. I'd change my identity and my name. And one day I'd be little Tommy. And the next day I'd be little Jane. And the next day I'd be little Paul. And every time an abuse happened, I changed my name so I could change my identity because I didn't want an identity that was connected to something so hard. So I changed my name, so I grow up. And in my 20s, I can't sign my name on a check. I know y'all don't know what checks are, but I do, okay? I couldn't sign my name on a legal document because I didn't know my name, I'd changed my name. And I hated my name. I hated it. Okay? And so I was broken. My identity was broken. So it was one time in October 
I asked my mother, could I go um, to the elementary school to a Halloween party? And um, school for me was very broken. I would get to go to school for like 10 days and then something would happen and many times I couldn't go to school because I couldn't let anyone see the condition I was in. And back then there wasn't anyone to tell. So today, bless God that you can tell. See something, say something, okay? It's just not a sign in the airport. Something happens, sound the alarm. Okay? Back then, you couldn't. I couldn't. And people would come to the house to check on me, and they'd be so intimidated by my mother that they would leave fearful, like, I'm never going back to that house. A preacher one time come to our house to visit and to do, um, like, invite, you know, door-to-door invite, like, come to church. My mother annihilated him. He left. He'd never come back. I thought, here's my chance. Nothing. And so it was in October, I asked her, could I go to this event um, at school? And um, she said, yes, you can go. And it was a Halloween costume party. And I said, only on one condition, you have to promise me that you will be the one that will come get me. When the party's over, I'll wait on the steps of the school and you'll come get me. She didn't come get me, she sent him. And so I told my abuser, I'm not getting in the car with you. And he was like, I promise, I promise. We'll just go straight home. He took me to a dirt road and he kept me there all night. And the reason why I tell you this story is because when I fast forward, you're going to see Jesus in this story. And I remember during the abuse, I was in the back seat and I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to suffocate. And I thought tonight is the night he's going to kill me. And I put my hand on a foggy window and I took the moisture of the foggy window and I put it on my face. We ended up at home. I went to my room. I didn't go to school for four days. I couldn't. Okay? And I didn't ever talk about and I, I, to, to anyone about what happened. But that's the type of thing that would, would happen. I spent one day in the heat of summer one time in the forest tied to a tree. And it instilled in me such a hatred for people. I hated people. I didn't want anything to do with them. Look at me now. (laughs) You think God cannot redeem and change? Please, would you do me a favor? Don't sell him short. Please do not sell the God that loves you and is your father. Do not sell him short. Do not downplay him. He is as real as the chair you're sitting in. Can I tell you, for most of you, you've put more faith in that chair than you've had in God in the last year. Because you know you're going to come in here and sit in that chair and it's going to hold you up. We put more faith in a chair, a car starting, then we do God starting our, our day every day. Will you get me through the day? And he goes, I'm not only going to get you through the day. I'm going to walk with you through that day. I'm going to hang on to you. And where you go, I go. Okay, that's the, the type of encounter you need with God. So the abuse went on and on. And my abuse ended when I was 15. And my, bro- my abuser, my brother... I don't often call him my brother, and I will explain that. If you want to know, I can explain it, okay? But 
he got married and left my home. And at 15, I left my parents' house, just getting ready to turn 16. I freed myself from it. I said, I'm not ever, I'm not staying here and I'm not going back. I will starve on the street before I go back. And I hit the streets in the area where we live called Historic Frederick, okay? And at 15 and 16, I was turning tricks to survive. And what abuse will do to you, it will instill such a curse that you will, once the abuse is stopped, you will go and continue to seek out people that will continue because that's all you've ever connected to and it becomes ingrained in your identity. That's why, you know, people are abused. They'll be in an abusive relationship and they'll get out of it. And what do they do? They go get a carbon copy of their abuser. Happens all the time. Doctors will tell you it happens. And so I hit the streets. I, I um, began to turn tricks for food, for clothing, for money, putting myself in harm's way, not caring and kind of in there somewhere hoping that somebody would just end it for me. I became addicted. I was addicted to amphetamines because that's the only way I could keep going. I was sick. And I continued that up until in my 20s. But I want to tell you something. I was abused, but it was not in my DNA to abuse anybody. But what I did do is I consumed people's identities. Because abusive lifestyles like that, broken identities like that, sexually out of control identities like that, it's all about the, what I call the piranha syndrome. You consume those that you're around. You begin to feed off them and you want their identity. And I would turn tricks or I'd go into relationships and the moment I'd have that relationship, I'd sabotage it and leave it. Okay. And I existed that way. And every now and then I'd hear from my mother or my, or, or my sister. Um, my siblings, we were not close. We never knew each other as siblings. We just knew each other as survivors in a very vo um, volatile house. Okay, that's all we knew of each other. We didn't protect each other. We just all tried to survive. Okay. So... I existed that way until my 20s, and I'm working at a hospital. <laughs> Can you imagine? I land a job in a lab in a hospital through connections. And by that time, I'm very androgynous. I am neither masculine or feminine. I could fit into any room I went into, and I could convince people that I was something I was not. I was over the top, crazy. I used to do this thing that if I went into a room with people, which I was terribly phobic of people, but if I went into a room and I made that room laugh, I figured I'd make that, I, I would make them laugh before they could laugh at me. So I would laugh at myself or I would be, make some grand dramatic entrance. Because people are brokenness like that, they're, you know, they're, they're drama queens. We have to have drama around us all the time because we are so used to existing on the ocean that is so chaotic and up and down that, that to not do that doesn't make sense to us. So we look to, to survive in that. 
Okay? And that's, that's what I was doing. I was consuming people. I had no regard for people. I had no care for people. I did not have any respect for people whatsoever because I had no respect for myself. It had all been stripped away. And somewhere at five years old, in a garage to a house on a dirt floor, laid a little boy named Danny. And I would never know until Jesus came how to get back to that little boy. Because when it happened, I splintered off and I stayed there. And the rest of me went on this journey to consume and to destroy and to disrespect and to cause chaos wherever I went. Before it could be done to me, I would do it. So I'm in a hospital and, and this really crazy thing happens. There's a Southern woman, Pentecostal woman, by the name of Mary. You gotta love Pentecostals. I'm Pentecostal, okay? I got saved in a Pentecostal church. You wanna know, can I convince you, can I convince you that God has a sense of humor? I can, I can. I got saved in a church, a Pentecostal church, on a road called the Road to Damascus. I ended up in a little Pentecostal church, and that's where the Lord, I encountered the Lord. But this woman was a Southern Pentecostal, thick accent. And every morning, I'm working in this hospital. I'm going out all night long. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm thin. I'm emaciated. I'm drug addicted. Um, I'm lying to the hospital. I'm using all the time. Back then, it wasn't the drugs we have now. It was amphetamines. It was speed. I wanted to do anything to be up because if I came down, I would hurt. So I would, I would do anything up. I didn't do anything down unless I had been up for days and I needed to take a sleep aid. And then I would take a quaalude or something, and you guys probably don't even know what quaaludes are, but um, <clears throat> I'd, I'd take a downer and I would crash, and the next day I'd do it again. And I'd do it again. I'd go around the clock. Okay? I didn't look forward to going out on Friday night because I went out every night. I was in the streets every night. I had numerous encounters. Days and days and days of unprotected sex. Dan Green said sex in church. Did you know that sex belongs to God? It doesn't belong to the world. It belongs to God in the right context. He ordained it. Talk to him about it. He made you in his image, both man and woman. Okay? So we got to get over some of this stuff. We're like, oh, don't say that in church. You know what? This is where we're supposed to talk this stuff. Because you don't want to talk it out there in the world because the enemy has it distorted. Okay? And he'll feed you a lie. So this woman is ministering to me. She's, you know what she's doing? She's coming every morning into the place where I work with a cup of coffee. And heaven knows I love coffee. I love, I do so much ministry in coffee shops. Can I tell you something I can't figure out? Between coffee shops and the gospel, why isn't America saved? Because every coffee shop you go into, there's 10 Bibles. People are praying, drinking coffee. And America's still lost. I mean, Java and Jesus, it does not get any better than that, okay? The more Java, the more I feel Jesus. I'm serious. Like, I'm like way up there with it. 
And it goes on all the time. Starbucks should really just be called the Church of Starbucks. I know you guys have real trendy coffee shops down here and up north at Starbucks, okay? Um, and everyone is studying, and they're studying the Bible. So what she would do is every morning she would bring me a cup of coffee and I would get so mad. Ryan, I would like curse her out. Like, I mean bad language to this Pentecostal woman who's full of the Holy Spirit, who at any moment, if I look cross-eyed at her, she starts speaking in tongues over me. So I didn't want to do that. Like, you know, and I start, in, you know, encanting any, any kind of curse my mom taught me. Like, you know, I can do that too, lady, you know toads and bats and all this stuff. So it was this weird relationship and she would bring me coffee and this is what she would say to me. Dan, I claim you for the kingdom of God. And I'd say, Mary, I want you beep, 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 beep to shut up. <laughs> if you say that to me again, I'm gonna throw this coffee on you. The next day she'd come with a cup of coffee. Dan, how are you? I'm exhausted. Can't you tell? <laughs> I'm tired. And I'm hurting. And I'm lonely. And she'd say, Dan, I claim you for God's kingdom because he loves you so much. And I'd say, I'm going to throw up on you. Okay? Or I'd say something stupid and disrespectful to her. When he's, when, when he's claiming me for the kingdom, should I tell him what I was doing last night and where I was? Sure, tell him anything you want. Can I tell you that Jesus never leaves the room? Now you're nervous. <laughs> Do you really think he leaves the room? If Jesus said, behold, I am with you always, <laughs> he is in the room, no matter what's going on. I love him for that. But that means I don't have to hide because I was tired of hiding. I was tired of covering up. And so she claimed me for the kingdom of God. It ends up that I overdose in the hospital where I'm working and I end up in the emergency room of the hospital where I'm working. Well, there went my career at the hospital, okay? And so I lost my job. I'm now, I have no job. I'm addicted. I'm broken. I'm sexually out of control. I think the only way I can survive is to just keep going with it, doing the bar scene, cruising fairs, carnivals, you know, shopping centers, truck stops, whatever I could do. Just to find that one thing that would make me stop hurting. Oh, and the enemy sent some real doozies, let me tell you. And I bought into it. And so I decided that um, I end up going to stay with a friend. And I decide that I'm going to commit suicide. And I decide I'm going to go and do it in my parents' house. Because I wanted them to come home and find me and feel bad take responsibility. Because by this time, I had asked my parents if they knew of my abuse, and they both said yes. We knew. Okay. So I go to this convenience store. This is like six months after I lost my job. 
I haven't seen Mary Mitchum, Southern lady from the Pentecostal church. She's all somewhere having revival. <laughs> and I'm in a convenience store buying cigarettes because I thought I can't commit suicide without a good cigarette. Okay, you can laugh right there. Laugh, okay, that's good. Really, you want to commit suicide with, without a cigarette? It's like, really? You, got, you know, numbing is numbing, people. And so I went into a convenience store and I'm buying cigarettes and I'm getting whatever. And I hear this voice say to me, Dan Green, where have you been? I have been praying and praying to find you. And I literally went, oh. Okay. And I'm like, um, oh, I've been here and there. <clears throat> she said, well, what have you been doing? And I said, I'm just trying to survive. She said, guess what? This was a Friday evening. She said, my husband and I just bought a cabin up in the mountains. Why don't you come with us? And I'm thinking, are you out of your mind? <laughs> what? She said, come with us. Come with us. He's outside in the truck. Her husband's name was Ernie. Really? Mary and Ernie. And here, Dan, you know, <laughs> God is so crazy. He is so funny sometimes. And she said, come with us. You can stay as long as you want. Somehow between the back of that convenience store and the parking lot, I end up in a red pickup truck between Mary and Ernie in the middle headed to the mountain to a cabin. I arrive at the cabin. She walks me in. I kid you not. She takes me to a room that is over the top there could not be one more ruffle in this room, okay? It is like, I don't even know how to explain it. And there was this big bed with these like, looked like it had five mattresses on it. And she said, Dan, this can be your room, just rest. And you can stay the weekend, you can stay a week, you can stay as long as you want. We're gonna be here doing some work and then Sunday we're gonna go to church. I went in that room, I crawled in that bed, and I slept for four days, because I was exhausted. And I ended up staying with this couple for six months. They fed me, gave me housing, kept me, told me I could stay as long as I wanted. Never one said, but you must go to church with us. Never one saying, you've got to stop acting the way you're acting. Never once saying, look at you, you're an absolute mess. Never once. The only thing they would ever say to me is, Dan, we love you and we are so happy to have found you and we, we want you to know that the love we have for you is the very same love that God has for you. And I used to think that is not true. God does not love me because see, as a child, I had heard the Bible story that Jesus loved the little children. And I said, that's, that's bull. He does not love the little children. He did not love me. Else he would not let happen what happened to me. And so I stayed and long story short, orchestration, the Holy Spirit. So they start inviting people up on weekends from the church and they would be like having like these dance parties there, like to Motown music. And they were Pentecostal and like, I'm like, wait, I thought y'all didn't dance. Y'all really know how to dance. And of course I knew how to dance. 
okay? Because I had learned to dance from some, some kids that I knew as a child. There was a black family down the street and they had taught me how to dance. So I knew how to dance. I love dancing, I love dancing to this day. My family, when my grandchildren and my children will tell you growing up, we will declare dance parties in the kitchen while mom's cooking dinner, and we put on loud music, and it can be anything from hard metal to disco, and we just dance all over the kitchen. Because I love dancing. I wonder, when did the church lose dancing? Why aren't we dancing before the Father that so set us free? David danced before him naked. I mean, I'm not asking you to do that, okay? Ryan, <laughs> call me, okay? <laughs> I'll come back. We'll do uh, intervention. We'll do, yeah, we'll do curses and blessings, okay? But um, when did we lose that? Because it all belongs to God. And so they would invite people. So I ended up one Sunday near Thanksgiving, some months later, <clears throat> going to church with them because a friend of mine that I was very close to had died in a fire. And I suddenly realized I should be gone because in, in my brokenness, he kept me from, he got me out of so many bad situations. Plus, you need to know something. I lived this life coming up through the AIDS epidemic. And I, my friends were dropping like flies. Okay, every week I'd hear of a friend that had succumbed to AIDS. It, it was a horrible time, horrible. Time. Okay? At the 50s and 60s gave us free love. They didn't give us free love. They gave us death. And I can say that because I lived through it. Okay? I can say that. And I don't have any problem saying that. In the 60s when they were saying free love, baby, it's free. It is not free. And it's not free today in the context of the enemy. It will cost you your life. Okay? Purity in the church is very in vogue, and God loves it. Okay, and I, there's no judgment. There's no judgment. It goes from here, it, the whole room, all of us. Okay? And so I go to this church, and I walk in, and they were the most loving, strangest people I had ever met in my life. I thought my mom was strange. They're like at the door hugging me and come in, come in. Now you have to, you have to understand something. I had to borrow clothes to go to church because I had nothing. I had nothing that was decent enough to wear to go to church. So one of the guys that would come to the house, I borrowed clothes. I said, look, I need some jeans and a decent shirt because I don't have anything because everything I have is, I can't, I can't do that. <laughs> I mean, I could, but I, I wasn't going to disrespect Mary and Ernie because I had grown to love them. And they loved me. And so I walk into this church and I meet this Southern Pentecostal pastor who actually ended up with a church here in Tampa, who's my spiritual father, Frank White. And he, he had prayed this prayer over his church. He had prayed the prayer, God, send me the broken, the rejected, send me the prostitutes, the homosexuals, the drug addicts, the unwanted, the street people, send them to me because I want them. And we were, they were coming in droves. They were coming. 
and he'd have these healing services on Sunday night, I kid you not, the blue, the blue glory of the Lord would settle in the room. It'd be like a blue fog. And people would just be, they were being healed and delivered. And you know what? And it was before the time when people say, oh, don't go to that church. They'll touch you and you'll fall down. We were falling down because we were so in love with Jesus and his presence was so thick. No one needed to touch us. We were falling flat on our face because he was in the room and he was orchestrating his touch. Okay, so I go to this church and I went for a while and I didn't commit my heart to the Lord. One Sunday night, I'm in the back row, I'm white knuckling it and the Holy Spirit said to me and I watched people speaking in tongues and, and, and rejoicing and being healed. I saw people being healed and I put it up against what I had seen with my mother and I thought, wait a minute, if this is the Holy Spirit, I know the dark spirit, wait, there's a, there is a spirit that does these manifestations. I didn't have a problem with it. Mainstream church was saying, oh, make those people sit down. They're running the aisles. Well, you know what? When you're set free, you're going to run the aisles. Okay? If God sets you free and heals you and you want to do a backflip, have at it. Do you not think that the, the, in the Bible when he healed the blind man, the blind man, he heals the blind man and the blind man starts going around town looking at people like, wow, I never saw you before. They thought he was whacked. The madman of Gadara comes running out of the tombs naked, um, demon possessed, and he falls at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus has mercy on him and sets him up. And then the next thing you hear is the madman of Gadara is sitting down town with clothes on. And people are saying, is this the same guy? And we come in the church and we're so uptight, like, God, please don't move me. I might embarrass myself or I might embarrass you. God's not embarrassed by you. He loves every expression you give him. And can I tell you that he is right here? He's right here. So one Sunday night, I'm, I'm white knuckling it. I'm back, back hallway, back um, aisle. And um, the Holy Spirit is talking to me. Um, and it's saying, come, come. And Pastor White is preaching and he stops and he looks out and he says, there's someone here, you are convinced that you have gone too far and that you cannot be saved. But I want you to know that the Jesus I know is here to save you and change your life. I knew it was me. It could have been 10, 20 other people. I didn't care. It was me. It was about me. And I'm white knuckling it. And I want to tell you what happened. The enemy said, you step out of the seat, I'll kill you right here. Because see, my mother had told me when I told her I was going to church, she said, if you mess with Jesus, he will kill you. Because see, she knew of Jesus. But she didn't, Wiccans know of him. But they don't, they, I don't know how to describe it. They know of him. Yes, I do. They don't mess with him. They don't mess with him. Okay. And so she said, Jesus will kill you. And I was like, finally, somebody will. You know me out of my misery and somehow I ended up in the aisle and I'm down at an altar just like this and my pastor is up here and I'm at this altar and this this 
presence came over me and I am literally like shaking. And I'm like, I don't know what this is. I don't know what's going on. Back then, we didn't have a term. We did not have, oh, you're having a panic attack. No, I'm not. I was having a sin attack. I was broken, and I was in the presence of a holy God. And he was going to rearrange my heart and heal me. And so the pastor stood, and he said, Dan, let me pray for you. And I said, Pastor White, you have to understand something. You know I've been coming to your church and you see the effect of my life had, had, has been, had on me. I, I cannot be saved. I have gone too far because the enemy had convinced me of that. Is there anyone in this room that the enemy has convinced you that you've gone too far? You don't have to raise your hand. He said, oh, you've gone too far in this broken stuff that you're doing. God's not going to forgive you. God doesn't love you. Can I, can I tell you something? Did you know that you are the only thing on the face of the earth that when God looks at you, he sees his image looking back at him? If he is so disgusted with us, why is that? He can look at animals. Oh, cute little dog. He can look at a tree. Nice tree. I created it. Didn't I do a good job? Do you realize that Jesus spoke into existence the very tree that made the cross that he died on? What does that do to you? It says that he was in the beginning, he was with the Father. No, nothing was made that was not made by his knowledge. Jesus literally created the tree that later on they would nail him to. For who? You and me. And we are going to be haphazard and casual about this? Come on. We can do, we, no, it doesn't have to be that way. We can do it different. And I'm down front, and so I'm like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm crying. No one's around me because I made it very clear. Don't come around me. Do not touch me. And Pastor White came, and he said, Dan, will you pray a prayer with me? Will you do something with me? And I said, Pastor White, you have to understand something. I can't be saved. I don't even know why I'm here. Other than I can't, I can't not be here. And I remember it like, like it was today. And I stood there and I said, I, I don't know what to do. And he said, I just want you to do this. My pastor did not pray a sinner's prayer with me. And he was your pastor? Aren't they supposed to lead you in the sinner's prayer? He didn't pray a sinner's prayer with me. What he said to me was, Dan, are you willing to say something after me that I'm going to tell you to say and then wait? Because Pastor White was all about, let's wait on the Lord. And he would take the room into silence and he would say, just wait. Here he comes. And he'd have this hanky. And he'd start like, here he is, he's coming. You feel that? And it wasn't like a mighty rushing wind would come in the room. That's what God wants for City Beautiful. He wants a mighty rushing wind. Every time y'all are in here, he wants that wind to come in and blow over you and blow the dust off you. Because he knows that you've had to walk through this world and things have attached themselves to you. He knows that. You know what? That's why there's not a dry cleaner at the entrance of the church. God knows the dry cleaner is right here. Okay, he can handle that. And so I said, okay. And he said, repeat this 
Just say, Jesus, if you are real, come to me right now. And I said, and in the wall was a cross. Brian and I had a conversation today about crosses coming back into the church. Because one of the things that upsets me, um, this is my soapbox, okay? It's my soapbox, so let me have it, okay? It nerves me and upsets me how the churches have taken out the cross, the iconic um, things to meditate on, the altars, the, the prayer rooms, and in lieu of aesthetic, I don't know what, I don't know. I'm all about art, I'm all about creativity. I am an artist, I am an oil painter. I work in oils from photo references. So I know what it means to have art, okay? But they've taken out the crosses. They're telling people, don't go to the cross, just, just run towards victory. Can I tell you, there is no victory without the cross. You're not going to get the victory unless you go through the cross. And you're going to have to look that he was there, but then he was risen. Okay? Why are we wanting to forget this? So I, I asked the Lord, I said, Jesus, if you're real, come to me. Can I tell you, out of a brick cross and a, and a brick wall, a light came to me and it hit me right here. It knocked me, it didn't like slam me on the floor, it laid me out on the floor. And I knew it was him. I knew it was him. And my pastor let me lay there for a little bit and walked away or whatever. And I remember later on he told me, I looked back at you and it was like every demon in hell. No one had to cast it out. It was coming out. And it was the most beautiful sight I've ever seen. After a while he come over, he helped me up. I stood up and I said to him, what was that? And he said, that's him. And I said to him, if that's him, please, Please promise that he will not leave. Don't let him leave me. Please tell me, how do I keep him? How does he stay with me? And he said, he's with you for always, as long as you want him. That very same Jesus is with you. And he's with you. And he's with you. I said, please don't let him go. If this is him, I want everything to do with him. I put myself in that church for two years or more. And I say two years because I put myself in that church to be saturated and to be taught the word of God. And the men of that church began to pour scripture into me. And they began to pray for me. They gave me housing. That, that church gave me housing, gave me clothing, gave me a car, gave me a job. And my spiritual father said, you're going to teach Bible. And I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and all the hierarchy of the Church of God of Cleveland, Tennessee, said, you can't let that dude teach. And my spiritual father, he said, he's going to teach. Not only is he going to teach, he's going to teach on healing. I did not give my testimony right away. It was my secret, and it was what I had to walk through, and I had to be healed from. I had to be healed. I had to walk through forgiveness of my abuser. 
Some of you are dealing with forgiveness and unforgiveness. Walk through it. Embrace that tension. Okay? Don't shirk it. Can I tell you something that with people who have wronged you, if you don't forgive them, can I tell you what happens? They move on with their life. They leave. But can I tell you what's going on? They still have a hold of you. They still have a grip on you. That one that's abused you, disrespected you, or hurt you, or denied you, or abandoned you, they're long gone, and you're going, I will never forgive. I will never forgive. And as long as you do that, that hand of abuse or touch or whatever, that heavy hand of an abusive father that has caused you to transfer to Father God that he's abusive because your father abused you, or that neglectful, uh, abandoning mother you transferred to God because she abandoned you, or that sibling that abused you, you transfer it to God. We do this thing of transference. And we say, because, because man is so evil, God must be evil too. Because man has hurt me, God will hurt me. That's terrible. That's terrible indictment on God because that's not true. That's not true. Okay? God has never done to me what my abuser did to me. Never. He's never been heavy-handed with me. He had, he's had reason. Definite reason. So one of the first scriptures I ever learned, okay, and I'm going to wrap this up because I know it's getting late. A guy in the church started teaching me scripture, and this is the first scripture I ever memorized, and I give it to you. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God is not going to ask anything of you that you cannot give. Do you hear what I just said? Well, he'll want too much of me. No, he, no. he only wants what, he, what you're able to give him, and that will increase over time. You know how it will increase? If you trust him. You want to know the heartbeat of God? You are the heartbeat of God. Your story is the heartbeat of God. God is not as enamored with anything other than you. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know why that scripture meant so much to me? It meant so much to me because I needed to have my mind transformed. I needed to be renewed. And some of you are sitting here tonight in your story. There's some of you, you've, you're running from your story. And did you know what? That if you, and I know Ryan Adams. I know him really well. He will bless your story and he will give you a venue to use your story to glorify Father God. But you've got to be willing. He can't draw it out of you. And I think, what, and I intend to tell the church this on Sunday, I think what God has for City Beautiful Church is that it be a place of beautiful, intimate testimonies of you and him. And that you will be known by the testimonies in this room. Silence is over. 
Because there's a lost and dying world out there that needs your testimony. And when you give your testimony to someone, you find you will discover a kinsman. And you know what? You talk about the Me Too movement. The Me Too movements existed in the church forever. When I say God has healed me of hatred, someone will stand up and say, Me Too. Okay? That is your connection. And I'm not downplaying the Me Too movement. Okay? I'm not a political person. I don't. Long time ago, they wanted me to be a poster child for Exodus International, and I told them no. I don't, I don't want to be a poster child. All I want to do is to tell his children how loving he is and how beautiful he is. Okay? Jesus is in love with your story because he purchased it, and it belongs to him. So, I'm going to close with this. One day, I have like 19 journals. Okay, I write, as soon as he says something to me, I write it down. Okay, and this is an entry from 2010. Okay, it says, today Jesus spoke to my heart concerning my story. He said, Dan, tell me your story. I said, you already know it. You're all through it. He said, I know, but I want to hear you tell it again. I said, why is it so important? It's just a story. He said, it's not just a story. It's your testimony. It's our testimony. I said, okay. So I told him my testimony, my story. We both wept. And he said, I love your story because I love you. He loves your story. He's in your story. And while you're praying, how can I serve God? How can I glorify God? Start finding someone to tell your story to. Guys, find a younger dude that has dealt with the issues you're dealing with and tell him how you dealt. Ladies, find another young lady. The church needs spiritual parents. I blessed Annie and Greg, because I know that they, they work here among you. And they are spiritual, they're, and they're young spiritual parents, okay? So am I, I won't even, you have no idea. The only way you'll know is if you cut me in half and count the rings. But, you know, <laughs> like an old tree. But uh, he loves your story. I'm going to ask the worship team if they'll come. Um, that one song you sang, I don't know what you have planned. Do you have something planned? Is it? Okay. All right. There. Okay. All right. You're there. When, yeah. All right. See? See? We didn't plan that either, did we? No. I know. By the way, your worship, this worship team is, you, you guys are beautiful. Okay? Cause a ruckus. When you, when you worship and sing, don't let anything hold it back. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. And I know this might have been a little bit longer than you used to, and I thank you for that. By the way, I did not share. They're not long into my recovery and my healing my walk with the Lord, I had told myself it would just be Jesus and me. 
I didn't want anybody. I didn't want to be married. I didn't think I deserved it. I didn't want children because I didn't know how to raise them. Not long into my journey, I was in a pizza place and a young woman walked in who knew my family and saw me there and asked me what was new with my life, where had I been? And I told her that I was going to church and she told me, I'm looking for a church. And I said, okay, come to my church, it's awesome. It's cool. We didn't use the word awesome back then. It's like really cool. Like just a bunch of hippies like doing the Jesus thing, you know? She said, okay, I'll come. She walked out of that pizza place. And I was with the gentleman who had given me the scripture. Let him, whatever's going on in this room right now, can you just let it happen? Stop resisting. Just don't resist him. Just let it happen, okay? She walked out of that, that restaurant and the Lord said to me, that's your wife. And first I laughed and then I cried. It's like, you have to be crazy. And my friend said, why are you crying? I said, because the Lord just told me that's my wife. That young lady did come to my church. And she did find a church and she gave her heart to the Lord. I led her to the Lord. And two years after leading her to the Lord, she married me knowing my complete story. God will restore that which the locust has devoured. And you think he doesn't have a plan for you? Oh, you have no idea. Five years, we have our daughter, Molly. Five years after that, we have our son, Kelsey. They grow up. Molly says to us, I'm going to marry a minister and I'm going to be a pastor's wife from day one. She marries a minister. She's a minister's wife and they're in ministry. Some of you might know him. Loyal Thurman is my son-in-law. My son. From that marriage, I had three grandchildren. True. True is 12. His name is True Dandridge. He is named after me because my original name that all those years I couldn't sign. My real name is Dandridge Green. It took me a long time to own that name, but I own it today. And I actually, I actually like it. And then we have Ruby. And then we have Paisley. My son is married to his wife, Jordan, and they have a daughter, Eliana. So I just want, the reason why I tell you that, people say, do, do we need to know all that? Yeah, you do. Because see, God, he, He's a God of restoring. 
and he will he will take all that the locust has devoured and cut down and he will raise up new and you think right now you are devoured there's nothing you have no future can i tell you something short of yelling at you and just grabbing you around your neck you have no idea you have no idea what he has for you if you're here tonight and you want prayer there's a prayer team boys to pray with you i will pray with you pastor ryan will pray with you concerning your story or anything you're struggling with let us pray with you we'll anoint you with oil if you need to be anointed we'll do cleansing prayer with you but as they sing could you just do one thing Don't withhold God encountering you and don't orchestrate you not being able to encounter Him. Okay? Step into surrenderance and relinquishing and let Him show Himself to you. Okay? I just ask you that. This has been the City Beautiful Church Podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.